0: All right. Um, Hey, I want to give glory to God also. um, uh, Karen Gruders and and her husband John, and and Jamie Hovelman and her husband Grant, and a few others have been putting these Wednesday night dinners together, and what a rich time that is that hour that we spend together um, in the gym. And we have all these families um, that are there, and those families are also very dedicated to their children being raised up in the Word and in the Scripture. And what a blessing it was this morning to see all these kids up here that were singing and giving you Scripture. And I want to remind you... That those you know nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds uh, uh, that that were up here, eleven-year-olds maybe that were up here. Hey, that was a hard thing for them to do. It's 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 not it's not fun going up to the platform and and having the light shine on you and having everybody stare at you and take pictures with their iPhones and um, and things like that. But they did that because they agree with their parents that that exercise of singing songs and spiritual psalms to the Lord is a good thing for their hearts and it harvests them and we're harvesting them on Wednesday nights through the children's ministry Uh, uh, big life program and we're harvesting them through what Pastor Jeremy, what Don, I saw Marcy up here and I know Jennifer Veening as well are are doing um, with them and I'm sure I forgot someone else but praise God that it's very important to us at First Baptist Church that the Word of God gets into our children that we are harvesting them and you'll um, hear more about that next week when we're back in Romans chapter 1 like we were this previous Sunday. And um, I've got to be a shepherd just for a couple more minutes on some special things. And then we'll prepare our hearts for the Lord's communion. As you can see there, we've got communion set up in a couple of places here um, this morning. And um, we're going to receive this remembrance of Christ and his sacrifice. And we're going to go to the Father. The only way that God intended us for to go to the Father, and that is through the blood of the precious Lamb of God through Jesus Christ. Instant access and free access. The only offering necessary, Jesus, to get us to God. No offering from ourselves, no merit, no value, no work, no nothing. We're going to go to Jesus through that and meet with God the Father. And our high priest, Jesus, the one who always gets us to the Father, is going to take us there. But before um, I do that, I just want to acknowledge the fact that, hey look, we praise God that Lucas McDonald is home safe and is improving from a scare with the flu I was hospitalized on um, Friday I believe it was and a Saturday got in the morning got to return home the McDonald's haven't been here practically the entire month of January because of illness um, that affects so many families in our church the Christophals and uh, the Nicholson family we're just so glad that little Lucas who's just 18 months old is home and is improving from that, but we have other people that are truly infirm with bronchitis, pneumonia right now, really struggling. It makes it very hard for our seniors to get here on a snowy day like today, and we ought to be interceding and praying for those folks. And I'm going to do something totally out of character here. I'm going to try this, all right? But there's another person who has missed a lot of church lady lately, and and um, and she and I are I'm dealing with her about that, but the reason why is she's constantly at the hospital are you there Trisha hey I'm in church right now and I'm talking about you and your daughter and I was wondering if she was available she's not. okay alright alright so here could you hear just one phrase from your church here this morning and I'll hang up with you and I'll, I guess bring the communion to you one day or something, okay? All right, hear this. I got to put it on speaker. love you. Okay, ready? One, two, three. We love you. I, I would have heard that from the next town. So you heard that? Yeah. Okay. Hey, look, we're sorry um, that uh, God, but we know that God has chosen your daughter for suffering. And we know that um, God is using that to break our hearts and to bend our knees in prayer to him and to intercede uh, for those. And we know this when it comes to illness, when it comes to disability, when it comes to hardship in this world. We know this, Trisha, that this reminds us that this is not the way that it's supposed to be. But it also tells us again and again to turn in our hearts to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because it's not the way it's always going to be. It's not. And so we wanted to encourage you and give you hope here this morning, okay? God bless you. Yeah, good morning. Bye. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have families really struck by flu, by illness uh, right now, and we're asking for your sovereign, good, providential hand to work in those lives and to cleanse infections and. Um, To strengthen bodies back up and I pray that those moms and those dads and those families that they would still gather around Jesus and they would still set their hearts on pilgrimage to you Heavenly Father even in their homes as they're crying out and asking for your rich blessing on on their bodies and we pray for Elena Eiford and we ask you Father that you would bring her body to complete healing and the surgery that she experienced is going to um, help her and give her more abundant life. Thank you for um, giving Elena the grace that she needs here this morning. be with Trisha be with Jeremy be with Levi be with Addie be with Elise the entire Eiford family i 'm just stunned that even some of them are here worshiping with us here um, this morning but still but still father we give them to you we give those um, who didn't make it this morning uh, because of the hardship to get here. We give everyone in our church body to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, fantastic. Would you turn in the Word with me to John chapter 2. And what we're going to do is continue this tradition of standing for the reading of the Word out of respect for Scripture. Thank you, all of you who shoveled, who snow, snow plowed, who... Uh, dusted off your car. Who went out there and started your engine five minutes early? Trudged through the snow to get here um, this morning so that you could worship the one true God and come to Him through Jesus Christ, His Son. Thank you for being here. Let's rise and let's read in John chapter two, verses thirteen through twenty-two aloud. the The, the prefix of this or the pre-story of this is Jesus has just replaced. Water with wine. Jesus has taken something that was missing and filled it. He was taking something that wasn't good enough, and he made it better. Jesus is a great replacer, and Jesus, in this passage, again, is going to be the great replacer. People are going to say, what in the world are you doing acting like you have authority to change things at this temple? And he says, I'm not just going to change the money changers. He's going to say in here, hey... You destroy this temple in three days and I'm going to raise it up. He's going to replace the temple so that you and I can temple with God forever because Jesus is now our way to the temple, to the house of God. Let's read the scripture here this morning. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. When it says they're at hand, it means that it was close, it was near. People had to prepare weeks in advance for what was usually a three-week journey to Jerusalem. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years this temple built by Herod, 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus has spoken. This is God's word. Amen. You can be seated. We get a lot of pictures of Jesus in the Gospels. In the Gospel of John, we get the picture here of Jesus, a great replacer. We get the picture uh, of Jesus who, um, there are seven great signs in the gospel of John that testify to his sonship, that he is the true son of God, that testify, testify to his Christology, that he is truly the Christ, fully divine and fully man. But the theme of Jesus, the great replacer, continues in this passage, but it occurs in a way that we don't normally see with Jesus. It occurs with hostility. It occurs with some indignant anger and some wrath for what is happening. What gets Jesus really angry? Well, we can look in this passage and we can find something that really gets Jesus angry. Haven't you ever been angry because of a great wrong that you know grieves the heart of God? Haven't you looked out and seen the way Dictators treat some countries and some nations and people are starving because they don't even have enough food and the government doesn't seem to care about them. You can look very close to home to certain injustices that occur with people still today because of hatred, because of bigotry, because of all kinds of things. Haven't you been angry because a great wrong is being done and you just know it grieves the heart of God? Oh, I have. I have. Oh, I get mad when I see a child mistreated by a parent in a public place. Oh, I get angry when selfishness hurts other people. I get angry when people get indifferent to what really breaks the heart of God. And you felt that because you felt God's heart in your own heart. And God does get angry at certain things. And here we have a chance this morning... To look at Jesus, who reacts very strongly to a great wrong that is happening in the temple. It says that, you know, as the time came, Jesus, as it neared Passover, Jesus left the Galilee area and headed south toward Jerusalem. It would have been a multiple-day journey for Jesus even to make his pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover. It's, it's, it's not more than 100 miles, but it's, it's around 50 or so to make it all the way uh, from where he was in Capernaum, the very top of the Sea of Galilee in the northern area of Israel, to make it all the way down... Uh, to Jerusalem, to make it to that temple. Jesus had a long walk, a long journey that he would have had to have planned for to make that trek there. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And so here is, here is the environment that Jesus finds. He finds a place where people are making money off of the Passover. Because it was an expectation A requirement that at least one time A year you go and present yourself As the male, the leader of your household Representing your entire house You go as the lead male and represent Your household and appear before God In his temple and celebrate one of those feasts And this is Passover This is Passover which means That it probably happens somewhere near the end Of the month of Adar which would have For us in the Christian calendar is the month of March It means that Um, It's the first of the many feasts that bring about remembrance of how great God is, about how good God is to us. And there's the, the feast of Passover. There's the feast of weeks celebrating the first fruits. There's the feast of booths and tabernacles and the celebration of the final harvest. There's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. There's Rosh Hashanah. There are all kinds of celebrations that go throughout the year there that remind the people... ...of their great God and bring them in purification and in reflection to intimacy with their God. So imagine for a moment, let's insert ourselves now in this environment, in this story. Imagine that you're on pilgrimage to God's temple in the first century. All right, There are not four-lane highways. You can't go 80 miles an hour in a 75-mile-an-hour zone to get there and be there in an instant. You can't be flown in by helicopter, by plane... All you've got is maybe, if you are wealthy enough, is a mule, an ox, or a camel to help you pack all of the things that you need to bring with you on that trip. Because your foods won't last the entire time, even if you've salted them well. You're going to have to trade and exchange with people. You're going to have to, on a day-to-day basis, as you travel, you're going to have to find little Hamlets or little places as you do your fifteen to twenty mile journey each day, places where you can group with people and you can say, well look you know I'm i 'm I'm, I'm out of water i'm i 'm out of meat i 'm out of bread hey i 'll give you some of these leather goods or hey i 'll give you so you 're going to have to trade every day you 've got to come with more than You need for a day. It's not like packing and hopping on an airplane for a five day trip to Jamaica and you've laid out your set of clothes and that's all you need because you know you can find water, you know you can find food, you know you can find transportation when you get there. You've got to over prepare for all kinds of circumstances that might occur, you've got to prepare for the weather. You've got to prepare uh, to protect yourself from enemies who on these roads are waiting, especially knowing that thousands of people are making pilgrimage on really this this very important feast of Passover, one that you would be especially privileged if you'd made the plan to make it on this trip. So you're planning a three-week journey that's going to be very costly. It's going to be costly. And why do we say a three-week journey? Well, you're going to spend a week or even more in Jerusalem. You might get there a couple of days early for the week of Passover. You might stay a couple of days late. You might be connected to some people in your tribe. Maybe you're a Benjamite and you know that some of uh, of them live in Jerusalem at that time. You're going to connect with some of your distant family and try to find homage with them. You've got to get there soon enough for some of the other preparations of purification and for offering that you're going to offer to God so that you can present yourself uh, in the temple. And so it's about a three-day and very costly journey. Why else is it costly? Well, maybe maybe your wife was pregnant, and so she couldn't come with you, and you had to leave her behind because she was pregnant. And you had to go in your little village. Maybe you live in Galilee, or you, maybe you lived in the Midbar, the, the wilderness area somewhere um, in a small town or village, and you had to go to some other people, So maybe some of the other wives in your community, And make sure that your wife was taken care of. That if she gave birth early, that there would be people that were looking after her and providing for her because she would be infirmed. It would also be costly for you because if it's the month of Adar, which is the month of March, you've already started seeding and, and planting. If, if you're trying to harvest anything, olives or pomegranates or figs or whatever it is, there is a process that you're going through every month to get ready for that season. And now you're leaving that in charge of maybe someone who says, hey, look, I'll cover you for these three weeks. Or maybe you're even wealthy enough to have a servant that can take care of that for you. But it's a very, very costly thing To make this pilgrimage to God. And you're on this journey. And you might be leaving family behind. Maybe you talked with your wife and and your son is 9 or 10 years old. And it's getting close to his bar mitzvah. And you're saying, hey, I really would like for him to go with me to Jerusalem. So that he's prepared on that day that we have his bar mitzvah. That maybe we can make that pilgrimage together as a family. And celebrate his coming of age as a man. Maybe you're leaving family behind, and you plan to bring offerings to God. See, one of the things that would have happened is is because Israel is a very rocky and a very hilly place, especially as you journey from Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem, when they say, hey, let us go up to Jerusalem, it's because Jerusalem is on a hill. In fact, Isaiah calls it the holy hill of God. The city of David is raised up very high. You have to constantly go down uh, hills and go up hills and, and work your way through mountains. And so you're passing through wide wadis, which are just really basically river beds that only exist as rivers for a few days during the raining se- season, but are dry and rocky and arid for much of the year. And so those create the roads right there. You don't have sidewalks. You don't have, You don't have heated sidewalks if it's snowing like it is in Holland. You simply have the easiest ways to to travel and to travel safely maybe in groups to make it there to Jerusalem. And you plan to bring offerings. And so here's what happens is the shepherds that are out that are tending their flocks and they just simply belong to the land. The land belongs to them. Remember, they don't have fences around their sheep when they take them out grazing. They're just taking them to the best spot for that time of year. But at this time as Passover is approaching, they're hanging out with their sheep near those roads and near those bypasses. That, that you are taking because you're, what are you looking for? You're looking for a sacrifice. You're looking for a sacrificial lamb or a goat or, 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 or something that you can offer up to the Lord so that you can go through your purification as the head of household for your family. And they might sell something like that to you and they say, hey, this one looks good. And you know that it's got to be a, a lamb without spot and without blemish. And you purchase This lamb, and now you're carrying this live lamb for the rest of the journey. Maybe it's another day's journey. You're carrying him, and you're not dragging him, and you're not walking him, because on the way that you're going there to Jerusalem, you're saying, I don't want him to trip. I don't want him to break a leg. I don't want him to get hit by a rock. I don't want him to get attacked by a wild animal, because he's got to be perfect. He's got to be pure. He's got to be spotless. And so now you've draped this lamb over your shoulders the way that you would drape your two-year-old. or wrap your two-year-old in your body that it was sick or just was tired, and you would carry the whole way. Now you're doing that because you come to bring offerings to God, not only in that sacrifice that is required, but also in the temple tax that each year is required of each head of household of the Israelite nation. And so you're, 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 you're ready. You've brought extra money. You've brought extra resources. You are packed down. It's a slow, arduous journey. Can you imagine, can you imagine for a second you've got a two-year-old or a three-year-old that is very sick and you rush that child to the emergency room and as you get around to the back of the hospital property, there's gates everywhere and there's this guardhouse and, and at, this, at this guardhouse this guy steps out and he says, hey, it's, it's $5 parking to get into the emergency room and you go, $5 parking, but I've got an emergency. Well, you better have $5 then to get in. And you 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 search through your purse, you search through your wallet, you get all the change out of the change uh, uh, container or cabinet in, in your car, and you finally come up with five dollars and you rush all the way up there to the emergency room and you go in there and you carry your child in, and they say, I'm sorry, we don't take this insurance. You have to get to the back of the line. Can you imagine there being such a great need and your pure devotion to just help that child in need is interrupted by people who are saying it's not going to work and they make it harder for you to get the help for your child that you want. Can you imagine Jesus arriving there in Jerusalem and seeing what is happening? People turning his father's house into a house of trade. In the book of Matthew he says, my father's house should be called a house of prayer. What is more intimate? What is more close than prayer with Holy God? And so you're planning a three week journey that's going to be costly. You might be leaving family behind. You plan to bring offerings to God, and your goal is to celebrate God. Your goal is the whole thing is is you've been excited about this all year long. You tell your family, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to go up to that place where the temple is, where God is housed in the temple. And I, for my whole family, am going to represent us. I'm going to confess sins. I'm going to offer a sacrifice. I'm going to give my temple tax offering. I'm going to do whatever it takes to worship and to please God. Your goal is to faithfully join yourself to God and to his people, to remember his rich mercy, and in this case, the Passover, to remember his great deliverance that he did for all of God's people down in Egypt. And so you arrive a couple of days later than planned because you've had a hiccup here and hiccup there. You couldn't find a place to stay, and you had to actually go backward a couple of miles because you couldn't find a place to stay, and sun was going down, so you literally had to back up. You lost a couple of days in the process, but you're still there, and time for your purification. You're still there in time for the feast. You brought your indigenous monies, though, from whatever area you come from. And the first thing you've got to do is you've got to trade out that money. They say, hey, like, you can use this mikvah, but only if you use the half shekel coin. So now you can't even go through your ritual bath of purification until you change out the money changes. And what are they going to do? They're going to charge you 10% every time you change out a coin. And so you're getting fleeced before you can get purified. And there's a fixed charge that anyone but a Levite priest had to pay as the temple tax. So you're there at the table of the foreign money changers, and you're paying more than in what is required because there is no alternative who's ever been to a professional basketball game, a professional football game, to the circus. And once you're in, the hot dogs are $7, and there's no alternative. The cotton candy is 15 bucks, and there's no alternative. And so now you're there paying more because it's required. And you haven't paid the temple tax in your hometown because maybe you hadn't uh, raised up enough money yet or maybe a Levite priest hadn't made it to your hometown at the early part of the month of Adar. And so now they're sitting right there in Jerusalem in front of the temple in the Gentile courts requiring that you pay to obtain access to the temple. In some cases, David Smith, A commentator says this, a poor man's garment would be taken as payment because he did not have the right coinage. This is how heartless the process of collection was. Your gift was no longer an offering of praise, but it was an obligation for access. You worked hard to get here this morning. You... you Husbands, maybe ladies, maybe teenagers, you went out there and you brushed off the car. Maybe you, you, you shoveled or you used your snowblower just to get out of your driveway. And then you went through the secondary roads that still had not been cleared, right? And then you, you got your boots. You got your boots out and you walked here and your boots, you brought your change of shoes in a little plastic bag like I did here this morning. Can you imagine showing up and someone standing at the front of these doors and saying, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't let people in with wet boots, Oh, you don't have any other shoes? Well, that's okay. We can rent to you some shoes that are acceptable. How how absurd, how crazy. Can you understand why Jesus was so angry? The very people who are supposed to help sincere worshipers get to God are blocking the way. And some of these sincere worshipers had longed to get to Jerusalem Imagine that. The highest point of your year, I get to go to where God dwells. The highest point of your year. They'd anticipated pleasing God with their highest offering of the year. The stories that they would tell back of being joined with thousands, sometimes 80,000, 100,000 people there in one place, giving your highest offering of the year. They'd walk dozens of miles each day for as long as a week or more, exposing themselves to all those dangers of travel, weather, and physical needs. And the people that are supposed to help you get to God, the priests are blocking the way. And approval for admission to God's house is extorted from worshipers. And how did God want his people to be prepared? How do you make a true, sincere pilgrimage to God? You go through purification. You go through preparation. You remember, you pray, you have your mikvah, your, 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 your purification ritual, On your journey, surely you had to kill something and eat it, maybe, on your trip. And so you had to to be purified. Maybe you were unclean and you had to make it to the point of cleanness because you've got to be clean before holy God. And so God wanted a contrite heart, a heart that said, I really want to be prepared before God. I want to be ritually prepared before God. In the pilgrimage, God should have been a sincere heart journey of faith. To purity and to intimacy with him, but instead it was roadblocked by extortionists. And so what we see is the fight rise up in Jesus. Oh, it rises up. The Son of God will defend the holy and innocent objectives of the true feast of Passover here in this passage. And who will he defend? He will defend, defend two parties. First, he defends God the Father, he defends holy God. In a separate passage of Matthew, he states his father's house is a house of prayer. What more intimate act of heart union can ever occur than through honest, bold and faith, prayer with God. And Christ defends the honor of God. And the honorable remembrance and the worship of of the fact that God had intervened on behalf of his people, why was Passover instituted? It was to remember that God had delivered his people from bondage. He had taken them from a situation they were in and replaced it with liberty. Took them from bondage to freedom. Took them from agony and pain to abundant life to a promised land filled with milk and honey. God, the replacer of bad things with good things, had taken a Passover lamb whose blood was put on the doorpost of every faithful Israelite. And when the angel of the Lord passed over that night before they departed from Egypt, nothing occurred to their firstborns in their homes because they were covered by the blood. So the fight in Jesus rises up. This is staining the remembrance of holy God who was the great deliverer, the replacer of bad to good, broken to fixed, unholy to holy. And the God of Passover protected his people by the land's blood. And his wrath and his judgment were passed over, especially because they trusted in the blood covering. Jesus defended God, who he is, in his heart for his people to cover them. To deliver them but Jesus also defended the sincere worshiper of that day he defended any heart no matter how rich or poor how sinful or how holy privileged or unprivileged Jesus fights for anyone who wants to sincerely and honestly come to God in faith he does he does they're stuck in the Gentile courts not even to the outer courts stuck before, stuck even before they go through a presentation of themselves to a Levitical priest to make it even to the outer courts of that temple. There in the Gentile courts, all these exchanges are taking place. And he fights for those who are roadblocked to God. And here this morning, I want you to know that through his blood, through his body, Jesus Christ fights for you. He fights to eliminate any obstacle that stands in the way of you and God. He, he fought for your sin and took that away. He fought against all the lies and presented himself to truth. He says in the book of John, I have come to testify to the truth. The truth is that God loves you. The truth is that Jesus Christ is the answer for you, for you and me. The truth is, is that intimacy with God comes through Jesus who takes away sin and truly brings us before the Father into intimate relationship with him. And this morning, church, Christ fights for you he threw his death on the cross to satisfy god's wrath towards sin making peace with god for us and through his victory over the grave christ fights and he fights for all of those lies all of those roadblocks that stand in the way of templing with god going to the house of god he fights against that lie that you've told yourself i'm not worthy i'm not good enough He fights against that lie that says, no, I need to bring a better offering than this. I've got to do something to earn his favor. He fights against that. He fights against that lie that says, you can't gain access to the Father. He fights for all of them, and he obliterates them for us. Jesus contends that the only offering needed close acceptable holy worship with God is him is him God accepted his holy and innocent blood for us so that God's wrath could pass over us. And how do we prepare today to temple with God? We go through only one sacrifice we only need one, priest. The sacrifice is Jesus. The priest is Jesus. And you know what he's committed to? He's committed to this one great work that he did on earth and that is getting us to God. Replacing our blockage to God replacing our alienation from God and making us friends of God, taking us from children of the devil to children of God, replacing all of the consequences of our sin with justification and righteousness. Jesus does that for you and for me. He fights for us here today. And how do we prepare? We go simply through Jesus to God. We have this remembrance that was instituted by Christ before he died so that you and I would constantly look back at this incredible metaphor of his body and blood being the access to holy God almighty. That's how we prepare to temple with God. What was the tragedy with this system? It was a sinful, abusive system of templing with God, and Jesus was going to change all of it. If you notice there in the passage, these Jews go up to him and say, what authority do you have to do this? They don't say, hey, you're wrong. They know they're wrong. But it's a power play. So far, nobody has been able to challenge the priests. Folks, this didn't go on for a year. This didn't go on for a couple of years. This had been going on for decades, maybe for centuries, when they practiced the Passover and the other feasts. This abuse of the system was just accepted. And that's the tragedy. That's the tragedy of this whole thing. Listen, people have made a big deal about it being about greed and about changing out money and selling certain things and fleecing people of all their money. And yeah, it's a little bit about that. But if we just let it be about greed and the message is, hey, don't be greedy, we completely miss it. What is Jesus upset about? He's upset about anything, anything Anything that blocks access to God. What's in your way? What's in your way? Jesus wants to fight for you. What lie are you listening to? It's not true. Jesus wants to fight that. What unworthiness do you feel? Oh, Holy Spirit, change that thought right now. What legalistic system were you raised in that told you you had to do something to gain access to God? That Jesus wasn't the perfect sacrifice and wasn't the absolute best high priest, the final high priest forever? Don't believe it. Jesus is angry about anything. And what does he do? He fights. He fights. Fights not to say just this is wrong. But when they challenge him and they say what authority do you have? He goes I'll show you the authority I'm the replacer this is where you think that God houses himself right now this is where God is housed in this temple well in three days you can destroy it and I'll raise it up people are going to temple with God through me for how beautiful is that how great is that That you get to temple with God now. How wonderful is that? That this sinful, abusive system of templing with God, that Jesus is going to change all of that. But how tragic is it that it was accepted, that people accepted the status quo? One time when I was on a youth retreat, I took them down to Garden City. Uh, South Carolina, it was a beach retreat and I told all the parents and all the letters that I wrote and all the emails that I sent I said, hey look, there's, there's nothing they need to spend money on. We provide for every meal, we provide for every drink, all this stuff, but still the kids, they come down there with their money and they just can't wait to spend it. So, Saturday night before we were to leave on, on Sunday morning, they're all going, well can't we just walk down the block to one of these gift shops, you know, and, the, and South Carolina is great, it has gift shops. If you literally want to spend money on shells, you can buy shells instead of just walking on the beach and picking them up you can do that and they'll sell you shells for like ten dollars a little bag of shells and shark's teeth and all these other things but what are the kids what were they drawn to they were drawn to this one giant candy bin and in that bin were gobstoppers the size of softballs and especially I'm a, i was a middle school pastor at the time especially the sixth grade boys because sixth grade boys they're just special and uh and they, they would purchase these. And so for the rest of that evening, and I'm walking around, and I'm following up, and I, I've been sharing the word on three different sessions and stuff like that. I'm individually following up with kids, and every, every, every boy I see has got that gobstopper, and they're just working that gobstopper. And there's this one particular boy that literally, I think, for five solid hours, I think he dedicated himself to working that gobstopper down to where maybe that it could actually fit into his mouth. So at three o'clock in the morning, I'm finally drifting off to sleep, and I sense this presence beside my bunk bed. With the, I was in with the sixth grade boys, and it's one of the boys. And the sad thing was, he was one of our guests, and and he goes, and I, uh, I wake up and I go, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" And he goes, Urgh. "He literally." had cramped his tongue. His tongue had said, I quit. I cannot do it anymore. His tongue had swollen up in his mouth. to see the grin of Dr. Golan. He knows what I'm talking about. You literally can go to the point where your tongue says, that's it. I quit. You will have to accept the fact that I am done. I cannot work the Govstopper anymore. And here's the tragedy. Here's the tragedy that Christians all around the world are saying, I can't gain access to Jesus. They've accepted a status quo that's a lie, that's not the truth, and it offends the heart of Almighty God, Holy God who sent His Son down into the world to remove all of those obstacles, to be the perfect sacrifice and the perfect high priest for us. We have intimate, eternal access to God the Father to accept a status quo. That is anything different than that. Any obstacle. Oh, it offends Jesus. And he wants you to come here this morning. Because that misrepresents God. And misrepresents Jesus. He wants you to come in spirit and in truth here this morning. You don't really need this church. You can listen on the podcast. You can go in the Word. You can always gain access to God through Jesus. And so let's just apply this as we prepare our hearts for communion. And uh, Pastor, thank you. In Jesus, we have free and holy access to God. We have free and holy access to God. Many people have asked me how my trip to Israel was. And that's a great question. I say, it was wonderful. It was perspective-changing. It was inspiring, and it was humbling. I literally went as close as you can possibly have gotten to the original Holy of Holies, or at least at the Herodian Temple. I literally went underground to get even closer to that place, and I have a new heightened respect for the Word of God. I have a heightened respect for the land. I have a heightened respect for those people And I want to fill you in with truth. I want to shepherd you better. I want to preach the word of God better to you all because of that experience. But I've got to tell you, it was not life-changing. Do you know what life-changing is? Going to God through Jesus. That's life-changing. Didn't have to go to Israel to do that. Can do it right now, right here. So it was a great question. But as we walk out of here and pro- t- probably 20 minutes from now, we walk out of here. What Wouldn't it be great, instead of saying, hey, how was your trip to Florida this, this this winter? How was your trip here? Stuff like that. Hey, how was your templing with God today? Because you have instant, holy, free access to God. And let's apply this last thought. Jesus is the approved sacrifice, and Jesus is the high priest. He's the approved sacrifice, and he is the high priest. Hebrews 10. 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all those, all time, those who are being sanctified. Do you see that? For all time, God who is the author of time, God who came and existed in time, God who took the time and orchestrated it to all of his perfect purposes so that we would be redeemed in Jesus Christ says that all you need is that single offering. Don't need to bring anything to God here this morning. All you got to do is take yourself, go through Jesus, and let him take away your sin. Let him take your fear. Let him take your anxiety. Dwell in intimate relationship with God. Temple with him through Jesus. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. So then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet is without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Jesus is your great high priest. He's your sacrifice. You can temple with God forever because of it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord praise the Lord. Hey, what's in the way? What's in the way? Take a couple of moments to prepare yourself, but wouldn't it be great if we this morning said, God, I will not accept any status quo that keeps me in outer courts. I won't accept it. Jesus won't. And so therefore, I agree with you, God, and I come to you through Jesus. Hey, wouldn't it be great if this morning, by faith, we gave God sin, and he took it away. By faith, we gave God our bitterness, our unforgiveness, other obstacles between us and others. Wouldn't it be great if we gave God our marriage, we gave God our parenting, we gave God our day, our decisions, our choices. We became more consecrated to God the Father, and because of that intimacy that we have with God, we not only knew Jesus, but we made Jesus known with our lives. Wouldn't that be great? Come on, take time to pray.